You're listening to a Sin podcast. You can listen to this show live by tuning your radio to 90.7 or online at sin.org.au. Kids should go to school. That's what we're committed to. I haven't flip flopped. I said no originally, then I said yes, then I have said no, and I've stuck to it. I didn't need to do this. I've already done a lot of war for the election. The English fought a civil war over this this matter. Don't deal with the nuance of the Canberra bubble. I don't know what to do with it. We have so much money. What we want is more learning in schools and less activism in schools. Issues that perhaps may be controversial today, but 30 years from now, your children, your grandchildren are going to be thankful that you stood up for what it was right. Represent. 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 You're listening to Represent. Welcome back to Represent. Yeah. We are super excited. We're just keeping on going because we've got another interview that we are super excited about. Stuck I just said that twice. That's kind of bad. <laughs> um, so we've got Georgie Crozier. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat to us today. Great to be with you, Bridie. Um, So, you've served as an MP for the Southern Metropolitan Region since 2010 in various positions. You've been the Shadow Minister for Health and and Ambulance Services, and you're now the Leader of the Opposition in the Upper House, as well as those two ministries. Mm -hmm. So, fair bit on your plate at the moment, I can imagine. Yeah, there is, but there's always, you know, in politics, there's never a moment where you're not busy. So, there's just so much to do. But particularly in health. I mean, health yeah. has been a really big issue, as we all know, over the last few years. And it's still really busy. Definitely, I can imagine. Well, shall we get straight into it? Let's get straight into it, I reckon. Well, I think it's good that you've sort of mentioned the last couple of years because, of course, COVID was a thing that did, unfortunately, happen, uh, in case you missed it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Who missed it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hopefully nobody did. But um, I feel like now that we've sort of moved past it a bit more, we're starting to think of long COVID and its effects there. And I certainly feel like I've got a bit of long COVID. Oh, really? But, um, yeah, I'm forgetting things, like, all the time now. It's crazy. But anyway, that's completely off topic. <laughs> what? Um, so with long COVID coming up, what should we be doing to, sorry, to alleviate the pressure that this is going to bring to our health system? Do you mean people that have long COVID as a as a um, condition, a health condition? People that have long COVID as a health condition and, and sort of all the things. And as that burden grows. Yeah. yeah. And it's a very good question because I think there's so much research and data being done on this. I know people that um, their kids have had long COVID. I know people that have said their doctors have said they've had long COVID. So it actually is, you know, there is symptoms that are associated with that long COVID and they're really debilitating. So you want to get as much care and support as you can get, but you also want to get that data so that we know what we're working with. Because if long COVID is going to be around every time we have, you know, a a new outbreak of COVID, we want to be able to work on it or the medical fraternity and the medical system will want to be able to manage it. So I think there's great research being done, really good um, uh, progress in some areas, but a lot more to do. Definitely. So, I mean, you are a nurse. Um, You've done heaps of training and, like, worked in the area. We're seeing a bit of a staffing, sorry, staffing crisis in the health sector at the moment. Um, What should we be doing to fix this? Another great question. I, I I was a nurse and I was a midwife, so I spent 
around 14, 15 years in the public health system and then a couple of years in the private system. So I've worked across all areas in our major hospitals, the Alfred, Royal Women's, in small country hospitals because I grew up in the country. And it's a massive issue, that workforce. Workforce, as we know, is a big issue in many, many areas. But in health, where we need to really rebuild the health system, it's critical and uh, we need to do lots. So I would love to be encouraging as many young people to go into nursing, medicine, the allied health professionals. I mean, there's just so many fields that are fantastic in, in health. I loved my time in health. Um, but not only that, it's really when people do enter the health system, working for the health system, that we support them. And so it, there is that support. Government can provide that support so that you're not churning through the system. We want you to be there. We want you to advance your skills and do the scope of practice to the best of your capacity and where you're interested. So there's lots of things people can, governments can do and people can do, but supporting them and understanding the areas they want to work in, channel them in those areas, support them, look at the shortfalls across the state where are we short? What do we need to do in the regions? How do we do that? Is that housing? How do we look at uh, supporting students as they're coming through? Now, when I was a student nurse, we had accommodation. We lived in-house in the hospitals. So they were nursing homes, and I'm showing my age here. But it was a great way. It's a bit like, uni bit like being at university. You know, you were amongst all your colleagues, and it was a great camaraderie. Um, I'm not saying we go back to those days, but what I'm saying is there was accommodation and we were all supported and I think we need to be looking at some ways to support health workers with that accommodation. That's a really big issue. Yeah, definitely. Um, changing, I guess, tack a little bit, you've had a very steady climb in your ranks since 2010. You know, you've been through a fair few ministries in your time. What's it been like to kind of gain that experience? Amazing. I still pinch myself that... I'm a Member of Parliament. I represent the Southern Metropolitan Region of Melbourne, which is close to, you know, 500 and, over 550,000 people, so almost as many people as the state of Tasmania. So it's a, it's a lot of... put it like that. Yeah. Jesus, whoa. Okay. That's it. So if I don't door knock you, you know why. Um, <laughs> but it's a really diverse area, and, and it, it's just a... a a, an amazing experience to be a member of parliament and we get to do so much whether it's you know talking to you guys about my experience and why I want to be um, working in the government you know as the government putting fresh ideas new ideas and improving Victorians lives and their health outcomes you know that's why I'm the shadow minister for health challenging the government but also putting new ideas forward so it's about, it's the issues when we are helping people. You know, what I had to do through COVID as Shadow Health Minister was some of those stories will live with me forever and they were truly heartbreaking and distressing. Um, and it's just helping people. It's very much, I see being in politics a bit like a nurse. You are there to help people and it's very much a personal uh, vocation. So I love it and I love helping people. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you've been the second longest serving Southern Metropolitan Region member. What have been some of the highlights of your career there? Oh, I didn't realise I'd been that. You've done your homework. Well, some of the highlights, I've, I think, is just representing that area, which is really broad, but so many aspects to it. And uh, when I came in in 2010, I was given the really great 
and a fabulous opportunity to chair a committee that looked into child abuse. And so that affected many schools and many um, people in not only in my region but right across the state. So I think that's one of the things that I'm very proud of the work that we did that led to, part of that work led to the Royal Commission that ran nationally and our work that the Parliament did, that I chaired that committee, went around the world. So that was an extraordinary piece of work. Um, but it is advocating for people. I think advocating for people within my region, I, um, I still continue to fight for an upgrade of the Alfred Hospital. It's, it's a hospital I know, that's where I trained, and it's falling down and we need to fix it. And that's why I keep advocating on behalf of everyone that works at the Alfred and every patient that goes to the Alfred about upgrades. Yeah, I can imagine that your experiences must completely like inform the way you campaign for things like that. So something a little bit different, we've heard um, a lot about safe injecting rooms lately. Um, you know, I live near the one in Richmond, I've got had a lot of personal experience with it. Um, we've heard that the Liberal Party is vehemently opposed to um, the new safe injecting room location in the city that was rumoured to be in the Salvos in Burke Street. We've seen in polls, um, or sorry, surveys, that Melbourne is Australia's heroin capital. There's clearly a drugs crisis on the streets of the city. You know, there are people just sleeping and shooting up on in the streets. What should we be doing rather than what we shouldn't be doing? Yeah, great. Another good question. So, and you would know some of the impacts to that local amenity in the community and what's happened. And, and we, we believe that um, an injecting room shouldn't be next to a school. We've been very clear about that. It's the wrong place. And we've been very clear about supporting people with drug addiction. And as a nurse, I have seen a lot of that. I've seen a lot of heroin addicts come in who have overdosed and the care and support that they need. And we've been critical of the government about not providing enough support and rehabilitation. There's not enough rehab, rehab beds. My colleague, Emma Keeley, has been very, very consistent in this. And whilst we absolutely support people with addiction and what Emma brought to the electorate last year at the election was opioid replacement therapy to assist people um, on heroin for instance, give them a treatment, give them support, give them something that will get them off such an addictive drug and destructive drug like heroin. So we want to support people with addiction. We're not against that. We, you know, we not understand that Emma comes out of health. I come out of health. We want to help people. We don't want people to suffer, and we think that um, a, an injecting room where it's placed has got to be the right place. And so, there are other options there. What we're asking government is, well, what are those options? You're flying the Urala building in Flinders Street, which is the gateway to the city. Now, Burke Street, uh, Salvos, which is where so many families come into the Princess Theatre, where restaurants are there. And that'll have a massive impact. We know that from what has happened in North Richmond. So there's a lot of the community speaking out about that, but they want people to be safe as well. So it's about the best place and where's that best place got to be? And I think it should be closer to a health facility where they can get the care that they need and are really supported. Get them the support services, get them the rehabilitation, the beds, the accommodation and um, importantly look at, our, look at our option where we were talking about opioid replacement therapy so you can get people off these destructive drugs. 
Yeah, it's interesting you say that it should be near a health service because, of course, the one in Richmond is connected to the um, North Richmond Community Health. Mm-hmm. I actually went to the school um, and I've learnt in the years since I've left that the teachers before it opened would have to go around before school with tongs and a plastic bag picking up syringes. Um, like. Yep. Absolutely, it should be with the health service. But the salvos are providing some degree of help and some level of, you know, support. They uh, do a, a great charity. job. They do a great job, and they're seeing a lot of uh, these people addicted. And to go to your point about what the um, teachers did, there is uh, a three to four times. There's like eighteen thousand syringes now a month collected around North Richmond, which the council now do now just. Don't quote me on those figures. I might have them slightly off. But it's like three or four times the amount prior to when the injecting room opens. So this issue is still there. It's just, you know, different. Oh, I know the issues are still there. Believe me, it has not solved the problem. But it's not like it was at that school anymore. Like, there are not the absolutely people just sort of laying on the street. I cycled through the Lennox Street corner every morning on my way to school. Like, that's not something a kid should have to do. Um, and I think it's really important that kind of politics acknowledges or politicians acknowledge that, you know, it needed to be in North Richmond, it needed to be in that area. Well, we we would disagree, and I would disagree with you, Bridie, and that's the art of, yeah, that's politics. So we think that, and if you listen to the, the data, what is there in terms of the antisocial behaviour, and there are still kids, unfortunately, seeing... Um, people who have overdosed in the street and some of those have been fatalities so they're still occurring so that's not good for any kid who's going to to school and there have just been stories about you know issues with syringes and needle stick injuries and things like that and that is not that's not good either so everybody wants to get this right and um but we we have been very consistent about yeah, if you're having an injecting room, but not next to a school because it is exposing. And we know that the numbers of people that are going into the North Richmond community have increased and that antisocial and crime, behavior, criminal behaviour has increased. So there are many, many issues associated with it and that's why it's got to be considered in a very careful way and we don't believe the government's done that. All right, well, we can move on from that one. <laughs> yeah, no, um, so I guess sort of taking it's it It's an from, important debate, though. It it's is. important. Yeah, Sorry, absolutely. Pretty. No, all good. So sort of taking it from something that is um, happening around schools to something that's happening in schools. Vaping is, of course, something mm-hmm. that is an epidemic that's sweeping across sort of our age group and our target demographic. And younger, unfortunately. And younger, unfortunately, as well. Uh, so what's been your take on uh, the vaping situation and what should we be doing with that? Yep. It's a very big issue and it's something that I've been talking about for a long time and actually asking the government, you know, and I took a policy to the election last year about vaping. So we really wanted that illegal sale to minors, to kids, to be cracked down. It's really terribly important that kids do not get addicted to vaping and we know the stories from the US around the toxicity of what is in vapes and the numbers of kids that are actually taking it up are really concerning. So I've been speaking to the Cancer Council for months and months and months about this, um, Vic Health, and really putting in the parliament what the government should be doing and then taking a policy to the last year's election. So uh, the, the former federal colleague, Greg Hunt, was very 
concerned about this issue and looking at um, you know the border force issues that are required with the product coming in difficult for any federal government and I you know fed, the current federal government is looking at that issue which I'm really pleased to say is happening um, and again I'll say that there needs to be more enforcement about the illegal sale of vaping uh, vapes to to kids I don't think enough's been done here in Victoria yeah definitely Absolutely. I think it's just do you think it's too late like it's never too it late it's never too late. Ever the optimist? Well, I think if we don't, we've got to keep trying, you know, and we can't say we've lost that. We've lost that. We've got to We've got to actually keep trying because it's so important. But education, and I've been talk, calling for campaigns to young people and to school kids and their parents, understand the dangers of vaping and give support to teachers who are really dealing with this issue. I mean, it's very, very difficult for some schools and some um, teachers and principals but it's really about an education campaign education is critical in this area so we never must give up definitely yep absolutely um, yeah something i've been seeing personally a lot in the media lately is about wait times for um psychologists psychiatrists mental health specialists why is there such a crisis and so much demand at the moment and you know how can we fix that it's a huge crisis and Emma Keely, my colleague who I mentioned before, has really spoken about this for years. And what we've seen through COVID has been an increase in demand because of a whole range of lockdowns were incredibly difficult for so many people. And we saw so many people lose their jobs, their business, they lost their businesses, uh, homeschooling, the pressures of lockdowns. I mean, let's not forget we had the longest lockdowns of anywhere in the world. And I've said many, many times, you know, we had the harshest of restrictions with the worst outcomes because we had more deaths anywhere than around the country. We had the longest lockdowns, which had a massive impact economically, but also, and importantly, as this issue you raised, Brady, about mental health. And we just do not have enough in the system to be able to deal with the demands. And we hear it all the time. And it's terribly concerning because there's not enough rehab beds, there's not enough investment the government has not put in over many years. And so we're seeing this demand that's come through after COVID really being very, the system's being very, very challenged. And uh, that's something that we will continue to pursue. It's really about what the government, how the government is managing uh, this issue. And we don't believe they've managed it to the best of uh, what the Victorian community needs. Fair enough. Absolutely. And so, I mean, you're, imagine yourself as the health minister mm -hmm. during government. What would you do? In mental health? In or mental health, In mental health. Yeah. Uh, it's really looking... We need more investment in rehabilitation. We need more investment in that support. We need to understand, you know, what are the triggers? We know a lot of the triggers that cause mental health, but look at the causes and then wrap in the support immediately. You know, we, we're constantly looking at uh, investing before, you know, after the, after the effect. And there's so much to do in preventative health. So mental health is chronic disease, just like diabetes and other chronic diseases. You've got to put in lots of areas around prevention and mental health uh, and look, look at certain things for especially young people. I think it's really, really important. So there's lots to do, lots more to do and um, we'll be continuing, but it's rehab and support and getting those 
those rehabilitation beds and getting those professionals in place so that they can treat. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got a quick last question. We'll yep. let you go, but it's been a great chat. Thank you so much. Just real quick for our listeners as well, if you've, if you've found anything we've talked, talked about distressing, uh, Kids Helpline 1800 55 1800 or Lifeline 13 11 14. They're both available 24 hours a day if you need them. Uh, and finally, of course, our, our audience is very interested in politics and getting into politics. And as yourself, you've had a long, successful career in that. How would you recommend young people get their start in politics? Um, I love the fact that so many young people are interested in politics because politics matters. The decisions government make matter. And if ever there was that impact, it was covid now, I'm a believer that, you know, I'm a believer of uh, smaller government, less government intruding into your lives is better, and I don't want big government controlling me. But what we saw with COVID was the decisions government make on how politics matters and why government matters. And so I would say to any young person, please look at it and pursue it. Understand what we're talking about, why we're talking about it. The, the challenge of ideas is the way that we progress this country and progress this state and really put forward ideas and solutions that improve our lives and that's what it's about. So that's what I would say if you're ever interested, pursue it. Uh, come and knock on our door, come and get some experience in our offices where we have internships um, and get involved. There's, we have, you know, we've got it, we are a a party of volunteers so we're a grassroots we're a grassroots party the liberal party we are we you know we go to the grassroots we don't have the big union power we don't have that we're grassroots and so we see what happens and what matters on the ground so i'd say to anyone please knock on my door if you want to come and chat to me i'd love it that's oh, great amazing <laughs> so um thanks everyone for tuning in to represent on sin thanks georgie for joining us thank it's you for having me chat. um please tweet us threads us i've made a threads account instagram um, us instagram us tell us what you thought listen back on omni spotify apple wherever you get your podcasts we're there and as always remember to stay political, political. you're listening to sin You've been listening to a Sin Media Podcast, where young people run the show.